Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's bonus episode interview guest is Bruce Arena, the coach of the MLS East leading New England Revolution. We've had some great guests lately, including Jamie Vardy, Adrian Macias, and David Leah, and Alexis Ohanian. So check those out. Now, here's my interview with Bruce Arena. Our guest now is Bruce Arena, whose New England Revolution is leading the MLS Eastern Conference. Bruce, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Grant. Looking forward to the interview. We've been doing these for a long time, my friend. I'm trying to remember our first yes. one. <laughs> I think you had hair the first time we did it. And I had hair, too. <laughs> Definitely was the 1990s. Uh, so I appreciate you over the years still being willing to do these types of things. Um, I want to ask you about your revolution. You've been on MLS uh, international break. You're coming back here. Um, first place in the East right now. I know it's still early, but you know, what do you see as some of the main factors going into your team's good start? Well, it is early. I think that's uh, a key point there. I think, uh, you know, I came in at the tail end of, of 2019 and got a feel for the team. Uh, we made changes to the roster for 2020, and then 2020 was just a crazy year. I don't even know how you explain that for anyone in sport, business, life, whatever. So, uh, you know, at least we had a better feel for each other, knew each other. So this time around, we expected it to be somewhat normal, although <laughs> again in 2021, it's not yet normal, but we, in this that year and a half or so, uh, I've been able to get a good feel for our organization, our, our players. You know, we made a number of roster changes. So by the time 2020 came, 2021 came around, you know, we felt we had a good team and we could start the season uh, in, in a good fashion. And, you know, we've, we've been healthy. We have, uh, arguably one of the best players in the league in Carlos Hill. He's been outstanding. He's part of the reason why we are where we are right now. Our goalkeeper's a very good one in Matt Turner. And then we bring back a group of players that have played together for a fair amount, you know, over the last year and a half or so. So, uh, you know, it, it was going to be an easier way to, piece of team together this year so we've had some success there uh, I don't believe uh, you know we're an elite team in the league at this point in time by any means but we're getting better you've built teams in different places in MLS over the years obviously DC United LA Galaxy uh, now this team and you also are not just the head coach but you build the roster uh, you've got uh, a lot of power, a lot of influence there. How has building this team with New England compared or contrasted to previous MLS teams you've built in the in the past? Very few similarities in that, uh, you know, we're not uh, walking around with the attitude you have at the LA Galaxy in that, you know, you believe you're the best franchise in the league and uh, you're going to spend whatever you need to spend to be competitive or be the best. This is a very conservative approach to building a good team. I think until we uh, move into a new stadium one day and, and ownership has a revenue stream that makes sense, 
to have a professional sports team. Uh, we won't be competing with those top franchises in, in the way they compete. Uh, but uh, we've, we've, we've done it in our own way and uh, we're getting better. Uh, and, but, you know, completely different uh, than coaching at the LA Galaxy. At DC United, it was different because it's the start of the, the league. And, and we, we felt we were probably, you know, at the time we felt we were the best franchise in the league as well. I was at uh, uh, New York Red Bull for a year and a half. And uh, uh, that, that was a complete mess. So, you know, that's probably a little closer to this than it was the Galaxy and DC United. So, you know, all different experiences, you know, you, you got to do it in different ways. I, I still think there's a correlation between uh, uh, the resources you spend in this league and the success you have. Uh, we're trying to defy that a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, that that's still a factor. You know, some of the teams uh, spend a lot more and that allows them to have two or three probably better quality players on the field. That certainly makes a difference. It's fairly rare at this point in MLS to have one person who is essentially the head coach and the technical director. Why are you able to make it work? Well, I, I yeah, I'm 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 not here to brag about all the hard work I'm doing and everything I do. You know, I have a staff below me that does an awful lot. You know, Kurt Analfo is our technical director. He oversees the second team in the academy program. Uh, Chris Tierney, a former player here, works with him there in, in scouting and kind of plays a role as like a, an assistant GM with the second team. Uh, Remy Roy handles our scouting. Uh, you know, we have a good setup with the team administration as well here. So a lot of people share a lot of the responsibilities. I am not wearing a full-time uh, uh, chief soccer officer hat like some of the others in the league do, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, but uh, when I was being recruited here, kind of, they, they kind of insisted they wanted me to oversee everything. So I, I, I reluctantly took the uh, sporting director position as well. Probably at this point, I would have said, eh, so let somebody else do it. But it, it, it's good that I can do it because my experience does mean something. And I have people around me that I'm confident they can do the job. So, you know, they're, they're, I'll be honest, there are weeks at a time where I don't discuss anything about the academy program. You know, that's, that's Kurt's business. The second team I'm more involved with. So, you know, the reason I can do it is because I have a lot of people helping me. You mentioned that revenue streams for this club will increase when you do get a soccer stadium eventually. Uh, people have talked about this being in the urban Boston area, ideally. Where are you guys on that at this point? Well, I think they're getting close to trying to finalize plans. And uh, it will be in the Boston urban area, as you say. And uh, and I think it'll, it'll be a difference maker for the franchise. And, you know, people talk about our franchise and that they haven't spent, but imagine being in a in a professional soccer league for 26 years and losing money for 26 years, they've put an awful lot of money in, into this sport. So uh, if, if this, the, the final act kind of is, is getting this done and they get it done. I, I think uh, Boston's going to be a, a venue, a city, a franchise that 
uh, plays around the world will want to come here and play. It's an interesting time for the league because you have new owners buying in at like $350 million expansion fees. And 10, 12 years ago, it was like $5 million, $10 million. So it's completely different right now. And then last week you had Jorge Mas, one of the Miami owners, talking about other original owners being penny pinchers, cutting coupons, and he isn't that type of guy, wants to be able to spend more. Presumably, one of the people he was referring to was the owner of your team. Do you have any thoughts on, on that and in, in spending well, I, and all that? I That's the first I've heard of this, uh, so I don't... He, okay. was referring to our, he was referring to our owner? Not, not specifically, but it was pretty clear that he was referring to original owners of the league who he thinks aren't spending enough compared to the new owners. I'd say the only reason the league is here today is because of... Uh, they had somewhat of a business plan that didn't allow a, a couple of rich owners to destroy the league. Uh, like we saw in the North American Soccer League, where basically everyone started to try to chase the Cosmos and they bankrupted the league. So to have some kind of fiscal integrity is important. And we see around the world now, the, you know, Barcelona's over a billion dollars in debt. Real yeah. Madrid, the biggest clubs in the world are in debt. And they're all talking about uh, possibly having a salary cap down the road. So I, I think the, the, the business models and, and sports in North America are the way to go. You've obviously won championships in MLS going back to the start of the league to sort of middle period of the league with the Galaxy to where MLS is today. And your team is competitive toward the top of the league right now. What are some of the skills that you bring to the table, the approaches that have been sort of constant over that entire time? And how have you had to adapt over the years to the changes in the league? Well, you adapt every day. I think if you if you don't believe you can't learn something every day, uh, uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And I think uh, the modern day athlete is a different animal. And uh, the ability to communicate, get on the same page, you know, uh, get them focused the right way uh, to be good professionals each and every day, uh, putting team first, all of those things, uh, kind of not letting social media dominate you. Um, there's so many of those factors, you know, the, the, when I talk about this, uh, I, I kind of look at the Brooklyn Nets right now. That's That's a modern day sports franchise dealing with all the issues you deal with with the modern day athlete and i kind of almost i was amazed by last night's game and all but that's what we deal with every day you know do you play james harden or not not play james harden you play him and you know you wonder but you know that's that's you're accommodating to the modern day athlete and team uh you constantly do that what i bring is experience and i also you know as you know i've been involved in other sports as well and uh i love following uh, all the different sports in our country and and watch the way coaches deal with their teams and how franchises uh uh build and i'm in a sports town right now that's absolutely incredible i've never been in anything like this in my life you would think that Bill Belichick never won a game in his life the way they tear into this man every day. 
It's amazing to me. The Celtics are bums, the Bruins are bums, the Red Sox are bums, the Patriots are bums. And I keep telling these guys, thank God they don't know anything about soccer because they would be ripping me and know you know what. It, it is absolutely amazing. So, you know, the challenges today in, in sport are interesting in dealing with uh, the media, the social media, the modern day athlete. And uh, you got to learn from that and you, and you, you got to bend to it a little bit so uh, but one thing i think is very important is i want our players to take full ownership for this program i don't want the full ownership of the program uh i i'm not playing you know and i i've I've really felt like that uh, many years of my career that you transfer the responsibility to the players as as much as you can and uh we got good people here good players and uh uh they accept those responsibilities and you know we try to get them to play to their optimal levels as best we can. I was going to ask, and that was great stuff on how you see the Boston sports media culture. I used to live there. It's it's rabid and tough, as you say. Have you been able to break through a little bit for your soccer team in that sort of sports talk radio and, and, and newspaper area? I do a segment every Thursday on sports radio. And uh, they, they, they've been obviously a little bit more active now at the revolution. Uh, but it's, in, you know, it, um, we're still very fortunate that they don't know anything about soccer. As soon as they do, believe me, they're going to, they're going to let loose. But right now they're operating uh, 24 hours a day on killing uh, the Patriots on the quarterback situation, the pitches for the Red Sox, <laughs> you know that they, they you know, the the spin control or whatever they're talking about, yeah, the the bum Celtics, you know the crappy roster they have. <laughs> They've been the last eight years they went to the playoffs. They've been in the conference finals three times. I I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's a tough tough crowd around here. Here's my suggestion that whenever you're done someday coaching this team, maybe you could be that guy on the radio, Bruce, to just criticizing you, everybody. To just, yeah. I think you would enjoy huh. that flipping the tables on media people like me and, and so many of the rest of us after that. I actually don't think I would enjoy it, you know, <laughs> cause I, I, you know, so I know something about coaching. I'm not sure I know a whole lot about it, but I wouldn't even question uh, second guessing Belichick on who his quarterback is or anything else, or who the uh, who the point guard is for the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, I, I find it amazing. It never stops. But anyway, it, it's great. Though. I mean, if the the interest in the community, if the fan base is for these teams, it's amazing. I, I poked around a little bit ahead of this interview because I was curious to know if you had spent much time with Bill Belichick since you came up there. I was told that that is actually not the case. Your training center uh, is not where the Patriots is. Um, but I was told that you've gotten to know Julian Edelman a fair mm-hmm. amount. The, well, the former Patriots from L.A. Receiver. I knew him in L.A. Because he, he used to train in our facility in L.A. All the time. Great guy. So, I, yeah. What I, have I you just, learned? I, Anything interesting from that relationship? Uh, I, he's the kind of athlete I, I'd want to have, you know, in, on my teams. You know, he's, he's a bright guy. He's a hard worker. He, uh, he, he gets everything out of himself as an athlete. Uh, comical, good person, tough competitor, you know. And uh, uh, it was sad to see that he had to retire. You know, yeah. so I, I actually was looking forward to him coming back this year. But I knew him from L.A. And uh, when I came here, he helped me with one thing. I saw him one day and uh, 
And I said, then, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking of living out here in the suburbs, you know, get a house, something like that. And he goes, uh, you, you got to live in the city. And I said, I don't want to deal with the traffic. He goes, you just came from L.A. You can't deal with the traffic. Yet. <laughs> and I got, you know, I never thought of it that way. So I ended up buying a place in the city. That was, that's how Julian helped me here. Are you interested in meeting Belichick and getting to know him a little more at some point? I would. I actually think that we would uh, have a lot of things in common, actually, if we ever get together. But I know he's he's pretty well focused on what he does, you know, but uh, I'm not going to I certainly am not going to push it at all. (laughs) That's for sure. The podcast episode that I have coming out next week is with a uh a data expert, a sports analytics expert. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that you have not necessarily embraced that aspect of the modern day game as much as some other coaches. Is that accurate? Is that, is that still? Yeah. I mean, I I can give you a dozen pages of information I have from training today, if you want to have it on everything. And I I think Here's the issue with analytics or metrics or however you want to call it. I think information is good, but if you don't know how to interpret it, it doesn't mean anything. And most of the people, they're very bright people, good people, but they don't. If you don't know the sport and you can't uh, understand why some of the data looks the way it looks, then you can't come to the correct conclusions. So. You know, I get I get a, a bunch of data every day and I decide uh, if I'm going to bother with it or not. And then after I, I, I read some of the summaries from uh, the different people that do it, uh, I then try to explain to them why they're they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I think information is good. It's like being an economist. You're going to get, you know, tons of data on on why the economy is this or that. And uh, at the end of the day, someone's got to interpret all of that. And I think it's going to take a while for the, for this new group of people in sports performance to have the experience to understand actually the data they're collecting as well. You know, I always tell them you can, can't compare that last game to this game. Yeah, he didn't run as much this game than he did the last game. It means there's something wrong. No, it was a different game. The, the reason why. He didn't run as much as we had a two, three goal lead, right? Or, you know, or we're playing in a rainstorm or we're on turf rather than grass. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why. And it's a lot of it's a little bit common sense. But if you don't have the experience, you kind of don't know that. But having said all of that, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is is still helpful. I mean, it, it if, if what they're telling you is actually uh, – uh, really beneficial information. You can get something out of it. It's great. And if it's not, it still gets your mind active and your thinking. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm not complaining. Recently, the Hall of Fame inductees for the next class were announced. And two of them, uh, Jaime Moreno and Kevin Payne, you had a huge connection to, so much success with at the start of MLS with DC United. What was that like for you? To, to see those guys get get chosen. And I saw that you were actually involved in visiting Payne for yeah, telling him. Sunil Gulati and I went down to Charleston to kind of surprise Kevin and inform him that he was selected to Hall of Fame because this has been big for Kevin for 10 years. And uh, 
uh, you know, to, to see the thrill on his face. And when we told him he, he was going into the next class was great. I contacted Jaime. Jaime should be in the Hall of Fame. He should have been years ago with Marco Echeverry. So that's great to see as well. Uh, it was an honor for me to be associated with those people. They've meant a lot to me personally, uh, as well as professionally. So it's great to see that they're being recognized for their achievements. Do you think we... I, I have a theory. I, there's a lot more soccer fans in the United States today of MLS and of the U.S. national teams than there were in the 1990s or even in 2002 when your U.S. team went to the World Cup quarterfinals. And I'm struck by how many of the new fans don't really have much awareness of what happened in the 90s and even in 2002 to the point where I'm starting to tell those stories in more detail because they may not be new to me, but they are new to a lot of people who follow the sport here. Would you like to see more people sort of be aware of what those DC United teams did in the 90s, how good they were, and even what your 2002 U.S. team did in the World Cup? Well, it would help them, but um, I'm not sure that's the era we live in anymore. Everyone wants to know about now not in the past or before. And uh, I'm not sure many people care, to be honest with you. I think the, the people my age do, but I think uh, the, young, the younger generation does not. And, uh, you, know, you know, you don't need me to explain that a whole lot. That, yeah, no one, no one cares about Oscar Robinson in basketball anymore or, or Babe Ruth in baseball. So, you know, it's the, that's the way it is and fair enough. I hope that's why we have the Hall of Fame for, you know, at least part of the reason for doing that. Yeah, that's, that's you know, th that obviously uh, allows some of those legacies to remain. But, uh, uh, you know, these, these things turn. I, I think as the sport grows and we get the kind of coverage that you get uh, in the other major sports in this country, I, I think that'll be, uh, some of those past achievements of teams and individuals will be recognized. I met you in the 90s. Uh, I'd gone to Princeton, uh, covered Bob Bradley's teams there. Bob was part of your first DC United teams, had been with you at University of Virginia before, long before that. Um, Bob and you are still in the league and still doing well in the league. And I'm wondering, you have this really long relationship with Bob. How often are you in touch with Bob still? And, and how would you describe that relationship? We spoke the other day and uh, my son works with Bob, you know that. So that's, uh, so we're, we're kind of connected almost every day because of that. Uh, but Bob is a good person. Uh, I wish I had his energy, his commitment to coaching that he has, which is absolutely incredible. I'm not a 24 hour a day guy. Uh, in my coaching, I, I sense Bob is, you know, always, he's a lot closer to that than I am. Uh, and that's probably why he's so successful. We just saw the U.S. men's national team win the CONCACAF Nations League 3-2 in the final against Mexico. Um, World Cup qualifying is coming up starting in September. We've also got the Gold Cup. I know this U.S. men's national team means a heck of a lot to you. What are your thoughts on it right now? Well, I, I, I think that game against Mexico, if you can call it a game, it was a, it was a, it was a show. It was a classic screw up on the part of CONCACAF. 
in terms of the organization, the game, the officiating, the VAR, a, a complete, if I'm allowed to say, a shit show. You're allowed and, on this podcast, yes. Yeah, it, it, it was a shit show. And uh, the U.S. team didn't play particularly well in, in terms of soccer, but they competed and they competed great. And, uh, you know, they managed to get goals on those on restarts, which has always been a strength of the U.S. team. And they battled and scrapped and give them credit. You know, I, I think their their talent pool is, is very good. Uh, I, I think CONCACAF is is weak. I, I was I've been surprised by CONCACAF and seeing the team. So I think the U.S. team, it, personally, I think they're going to have a, uh, a very successful run in qualifying and being the next World Cup. But you see as they play teams that are a little bit better. And, and again, it's early right now. When you see them play Switzerland, it looks different. When you see them play Mexico and struggle to you know keep the ball and and, and, and be, you know, a little bit more dangerous in the attack. You know, you, you, you wonder they're going to have it by the time they get to a World Cup. So the next, obviously, six months is going to be very important for that team to develop. They're going to go to the World Cup. I have no question about that. The question is, can they get, can they get better where they can compete with the, you know, the better teams in the world? Because once you get into your group play, and again, the 48 teams, I don't even, I can't even comprehend what that means in a World Cup and what it's going to look like. But you're going to still have to beat a good team or two uh, to get out of group play. Yeah, I, I, it's it's an interesting time. And I'm wondering how much do you think U.S. men's national team fans should be getting excited about a team that has players now with Chelsea and Barcelona and Juventus and Dortmund and, and they're young? Sure, I think. I think our time is going to be the 2026 World Cup for sure. You know, playing at home, uh, I think that's a time where, you know, there's no reason to believe we can't make it to the semifinals. And again, the draw has to be right and all of that. But uh, by then, you think about those players, what they're going to look like in another five years. You know, if they stay healthy and and uh, they continue to develop, we could have a, a, a pretty formidable team by then. We're winding down with Bruce Arena. Really appreciate the time, Bruce. Um, Greg Berhalter is a guy who played for you, uh, mm-hmm. for the national team, the club level. Um, and you know him well, do you have much contact with him recently? I haven't, uh, but you know, he, he's obviously working real hard. Uh, you know, I think it's been a, a difficult time to be the national team coach with, uh, during the, the pandemic and all, and, and, uh, some of the issues they've had at us soccer. So they've hung in there. Uh, they've been able to stay focused and uh, do a good job with their pool of players and uh, they're moving in the right direction. So you got to give Greg and his staff a lot of credit. How much longer do you want to keep doing this, Bruce? Your team's still playing well. Uh, You seem to have a lot of energy for it. I think maybe another day or two. (laughs) I'm fine for another day or two. After that, I I can't actually tell you. I I do think about that all the time. I'm wondering man, when am I going to get out of this? And I can kind of like just say, I'm going there tomorrow. And I'm going to like enjoy myself a little bit and just watch everyone rip rip this coach or that coach and I don't have to deal with it. You know, Sunil and I, when we did the thing the other day uh, in Charleston, you know, we uh, you know we were so pleased to, you know, be with Kevin and all. And then Sunil's telling me and we're, we're taking a, uh, a car back to the airport. 
people like ripping us on social media that they didn't like the way we did the thing with Kevin and all. And I goes, you know, why you even look at that stuff? You're just ruining my, it never stops, you know? So I'm wondering, am I, I going to have the day where I don't have to worry about that anymore? But I do, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy what I'm doing. So I, I can't tell you, but uh, the crafts have been good to work for and hopefully we can have a little success here. Bruce Arena, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Grant. Enjoy the interview. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Bruce Arena as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. We'll be right back. 